Right now, though, we're going to talk about social media once again. Um, yesterday, we talked about Facebook, and I think the, the, the underwhelming, the overwhelming message was stop it. Stop with Facebook. It's not a credible source for anything. Um, it's just not, period. Um, Twitter, where does it shape up? Same thing. Okay, Twitter can can lead you down some rabbit holes as well, um, but we're going to talk a bit about the unusual step they took. But anyway, we're going to be talking about social media in the election campaign and how much of an influence it can have. We're chatting with um, Angus Bridgman now, who is director of Canadian Election Misinformation Project, which is monitoring what is happening online during the election. Angus, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. So I guess let's start with uh, the big news that came out of Twitter during this federal election campaign. Of course, they took what is a pretty rare step of slapping a media, manipulated media label on a tweet by Christia Freeland. I guess the manipulation was she didn't include the full answer from Aaron O'Toole, where he did support public health care, universal health care, and then said he was open to some private components. That's the details of it. But um, it became national news that Twitter did this, just their action, essentially... When that happens, um, doesn't that just make it a bigger story? Like, probably people probably wouldn't even known this had happened for the most part. Yeah, so so that's certainly true. Um, generally, when Twitter labels something or Facebook labels something, it does actually have a slight suppressive effect on engagement. People see that label, makes them less likely to share it. But in this case, it's the first very high-profile during a Canadian election. You know, very important minister. Um, Twitter labeled this, and it blew up and made the news cycle. It was sort of three, four days yeah. last week. Um, this was everywhere. We did some some sort of research on this, and, and that looked at sort of social media engagement metrics as well as some surveying. And what we found is that about 10% of people who had seen the story actually saw it on Twitter. As for the other 90%, they were seeing it from other sources, whether they be Facebook or primarily through traditional media organizations. So something like 62 63% of Canadians who saw the story didn't actually see the tweet. They saw Canadians reporting on it. So that means that, it, you know, it really was the label that drove this news cycle and not necessarily just the actions of, of um, or the, the content of the tweet. Is that a consideration, do you think, for the people at Twitter and Facebook? I mean, is that part of their calculation as to whether or not we go ahead and put the label on here? Because you're right, it often draws more attention. So I think actually in this case it wasn't part of it. You saw sort of uh, some ambiguity about this. So initially the French language version of the tweet was flagged and then the English language one was after. The way this often works in these companies is it's sort of algorithmically motivated, but ultimately it's just a fact checker on the end. And they probably saw, okay, this video has been spliced a half dozen times. This is manipulated media and and flagged it. It wasn't likely a, a larger decision by somebody in the upper echelons of Twitter However, given sort of the firestorm that went around this, yeah, social media companies are going to have to be very careful going forward about what they label. We also saw this with, of course, Twitter and Trump during the last American election. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think this whole misinformation and and, um, the impact that it can have on election campaigns specifically, but other political issues as well, um, is definitely on the minds of many people. And I'm sure that these social media platforms are feeling that pressure, right, and feeling as though people expect them to act in some way to try and at least get the information verified if they can. 
Yeah, exactly. They've become gatekeepers and producers of an enormous amount of information uh, that circulates during an election. The majority of Canadians now get news from social media, and so they, they are very important players. One thing that is sort of interesting about all this is that if you know that a manipulated media um, label from Twitter might boost your signal, this now becomes part of traditional media and parties sort of calculations around this stuff. So if you know that maybe you can boost, you know, your message by labeling or doing it a little bit provocatively and trying to actually elicit a label from a social media company, you can you can certainly see something somebody like the People's Party of Canada, you know, potentially trying to leverage that as their supporters tend to be very concerned about sort of social media moderation overreach. And so this is now just another another you know, chess piece in the game of, of politics. And that that's interesting because, of course, the, the social media companies operate in a largely unregulated way and sort of get to set the rules of that game. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And I think you make a really good point because there's, there's two things there, I think, and one of them, tell me if I'm wrong or if your research has shown any of this. There's a lot of people out there, especially I'm thinking a lot of the American media companies, that know putting out something that they know is false um, and will get labeled as, you know, questionable or whatever the case may be. A lot of people will see what they put out. They won't see the correction. They won't see the label. And that story that they initially put out, they know is going to be bounced around throughout the stratosphere and everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to hear it. Um, And then the follow-up, of course, is once they're censored or once they're labeled for spreading the misinformation, they can complain and say they're being targeted because they're conservative or whatever the case may be. So there's a strategy in spreading the misinformation. Absolutely. And yes, there is some research that shows this, for example, that fake news spreads faster and more widely on Facebook and Twitter than uh, real news. And that's largely because of its highly like emotional, evocative content. There also is some evidence that fact-checking only reaches a very small fraction of the initial audience Mm -hmm. of a piece of misinformation. So certainly these are considerations for bad actors or those who are trying to mislead Canadians. And I mean, obviously, this is a concern. It's a dangerous game that they're playing because, of course, if you're a political party and you're known to spread false or, mis- or misleading information consistently, there might be some blowback. But this is this is part of the political playbook now, and it's here to stay. And social media companies are kind of caught in the middle on this stuff and are, are trying to, to moderate while still preserving sort of their profit bottom line. And, and there's just, you know, there's a whole, a whole set of, of really complicated considerations here. There really, really is, and it sort of just really highlights the point that we have put a tremendous amount of 
I guess, responsibility, whether they accept it or not, but have given these social media platforms just a tremendous amount of influence when it comes to the information realm. Uh, we've handed that them to them um, and asked them to try and moderate it in some way. Is it even a fair ask of these companies? So there's there's a <laughs> the fair ask is a, is an interesting question as well. I the, the thing that I get caught up with here is that look this is, these are these are large companies that basically operate in an unregulated manner. Totally. And they're they're enormously profitable companies and have come to dominate sort of the information ecosystem and and have thus far avoided regulation and are doing sort of voluntary regulation in an effort to stave off further kind of oversight. Um I, I, for one, am not comfortable having them be the arbiters of truth. Them being able to say this is this is content that is okay to share, this is content that is not okay to share, and to do so sort of in a unilateral manner. That makes me incredibly uncomfortable. There's also the other side, which is maybe you know uh, it's not fair to ask them, but I think actually they're they would prefer to continue to operate in an unregulated manner and continue to do sort of band-aid solutions or half measures because. It, that way they can keep it from affecting their core business, right? Exactly. That's, that's really what they're concerned about. Have we seen improvement? Because this is not a new issue. Uh, you know, it's been something that's been talked about for at least, oh, say, five or six years. Um, the manipulation of social media by foreign influences, all kinds of people doing it to influence election campaigns. Um, now that we're into this new election campaign, is it better? Uh, have they actually come up with meaningful solutions to some of these problems? I think it is certainly better than, say, a decade ago, where there was virtually no moderation and no oversight in this space. Um, COVID-19 really sped this along, where there was just such a huge amount of misinformation circulating on social media that platforms tended to adopt much more um, aggressive moderation policies. So, so there's definitely more action in this space. But there are some downstream consequences of that, and including people sort of moving off to, to non-mainstream platforms to have the discussions that they want to have, mm-hmm. as well as now like an increasing distrust of the platforms, um, which coincides with sort of a distrust of traditional media and politicians and experts. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a thorny issue. I do think that it is good that these large platforms are attempting to work with the Canadian policy community to improve the types of content on their platforms, and we know this is an issue. So so that is heartening, but they are far from successful, and there continue to be enormous challenges. Huge challenges, yeah, absolutely. Um, Angus, thanks so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. It was a great chat. Yeah, thanks for joining us. That's Angus Bridgman, who is director of the Canadian Election Misinformation Project.